Northern Wine Odyssey is a part of the Cork Report Podcast Network. To find us, search Spotify, Apple, Google, and elsewhere, wherever you get podcasts. Today, talking to Ben Riccardi, we pay tribute to the chef, Scott Signori, recently passed. Scott was uh, the owner, chef of Stone Cat Cafe in Hector, New York, and was certainly a maverick of hospitality in the Finger Lakes. Uh, after that, we talk about why Ben can't make enough Petnat or Cabernet Franc to meet the demand. Here we go. Northern Wine Odyssey, part of the Cork Report Network. To listen, search for us on Spotify, Apple, Google, or other places you get your podcasts. Thank you to Dave Miller, as always, for our opening and closing music. Check him out at DaveMillerGuitar.com or wherever you stream or purchase music. Hanging out tonight with Ben Riccardi of Osmote. Ben, how goes it up in the hills of Burdett? Oh, we're, we're doing really well here. Um, my wife is off. My in-laws are up from the Atlanta area and we've got the baby at home, little Mia. So we're just having a, a great time. Um, yeah, I do a little bit of wine work, but, uh, I am trying to spend a lot of time at home right now. Oh, that's good. Uh, glad you can do that, especially sort of just after harvest as well. Um, I wanted, you know, I'm glad we were sort of chatting or texting over the last couple of days um, because uh, you you did uh, deliver the unfortunate news that Scott Signori, chef owner of uh, the Stone Cat restaurant uh, in Hector on the southeast side of Seneca Lake, uh, had just passed away from from brain cancer. Uh, And I appreciate you delivering that news to me, by the way. Um, and I, yeah, I've, sorry, I've, I had, I've, the, no, no, I, I'm glad, I'm glad you did. And I've now noticed the various remembrances, um, happening. So it's kind of perhaps serendipitous that, that I happen to be talking to you and, uh, because you are a winemaker who lives and has worked in the, around that same part of Seneca Lake as, as where the stone cat is located. Um, and then I, I myself spent a summer actually waiting tables there um, that we can maybe get into. But I'm curious to start That's with you. That's how you and I met, matter of fact. It probably is. It probably is. Um, I, what, what, is what has that place meant to you and to other winemakers uh, who live and work in that area? It's been a really um... – strong focal point i think kind of like a a pillar of some of the winemaking community building that we have here um you know uh, you've spoken to so many finger lakes winemakers now and you know i think we all kind of flex on our camaraderie and how we come together and exchange ideas and everything and for for me um you know stone cat that was like the place um it it was it was a couple years ago i mean you know covid's covid's changed everything but um they were doing uh lunches actually like really um winemaker um kind of specific or like friendly lunches i mean and we would just come in there in droves and it was it was just so neat to see all your peers all your neighbors just connect with friends and uh josh carlson was there at the time um you know he and he was like blinding us on uh finger lakes wines but even uh, world wines which was really good um and you know scott as the owner of stone cat um you know he had just a terrific kind of farm to table approach um and he let that pervade into the wine list I mean, wholly. Um, it was just such a strong Finger Lakes wine list and really one of the, the best places 
truthfully to to go back and and find library selections um so you know it was just it was just it it you know it was like a, it was like a, a a rock or you know it was it was a it was a terrific place i i spent a lot of time there especially when i was a, a newer uh arrival you know returning back home to the finger lakes around 2017 i mean i, I felt like i was there to three times a week for, for lunch during the growing season while I was working on the vines. Yeah. I mean, it, it really does seem like it was very much a sort of center of the community place, not just for, for guests, but also for the staff. I mean, I, I, I spent a couple months waiting tables there when I was between restaurant jobs in New York city and had blocked off some time to go, uh, do some harvest work in, in France. And so I had like this odd amount of time to kill and Josh Carlson, who you mentioned, who was the beverage director there. And I had become friendly with, um, you know, was able to offer me uh, a server position there for a couple months, which was really ended up being just one of the pivotal summers of my life without question. And what, one of the things that I, I noticed there is they retained staff. There were the same people working there, for a decade or more, um, when I was there and it seemed like they, they just were treated well enough such that it was a seasonal place. So they go from April to November, but the staff would always come back for, for the season. And I, I'm fairly certain he was good to them in terms of benefits and unemployment during the off season. So not just a, 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 uh, uh, place for for the wine industry but very much a special place it seemed to me to that staff does that sound right oh yeah absolutely absolutely you know like i had said it was kind of like a, a pillar of the community and that and that is exactly what you're touching on i think you know the way you'll see the same faces in there time after time after time um everyone just connected so deeply um, the the quirkiness of his cuisine, the the cool ambiance, you know, like the the back the back porch with the giant weeping willow and just a lot of flowers and green, and and then you're eating, you know, just um, terrific, uh, terrific food, and and drinking local wine and seeing your friends and seeing all these people. Um, and yeah, I, I'm sure he was good to people in the off season too. Um, that's one of my fondest memories of Scott actually is, um, you know, I around probably 2017, 2018, you know, I <clears throat> had just gotten back to the Finger Lakes and um, Phil Davis took me up to Scott's house Um in the middle of winter for a winter solstice party. And I just like prayed into this guy's house effectively as a stranger. And, you know, the, the Hector way, um, you know, you get a hug and then he's, you know, feeding uh, us just like incredibly well cooked, you know, um, venison, you know, like a a deer that he had hunted and and harvested himself. And then, cooked to perfection and he had such a, a cool house with the you know he's got the the sauna by the pond and everything and and there I was you know a stranger and just like invited to all of it it was really cool he was very generous wow yeah I mean you I you I could pick pick up on that just he was just sort of a natural of hospitality and and the place was was very warm and hospitable and it just sort of worked in that magic way like almost without even trying <clears throat> not to say I that people didn't work hard and try there but way. yeah yeah i'm sure it will um well again i wanted to you know thank you for for uh letting me know um and um i'm glad we got to pay uh, this remembrance uh to him and, and all the best to the to the staff at the Stone Cat and the neighbors and the community. Um, so on a, a on a, a less somber note, um, you've been able to spend some time, some more time at home lately. That's good. 
Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, (laughs) you've, you've probably heard me say this, but, uh, I, I tell people over and over again, I have like a really perverse relationship with the whole COVID crisis because, um, you know, my daughter, Mia, she's only two and a half years old and, uh, everything, you know, everything in my life has, uh, slowed down of late and I don't feel necessarily like, like I'm even skipping a beat, you know, I'm just so happy to, to be home and trying to really relish the moment, probably, you know, sub- subliminally tr- trying to just block out what's happening in the real world. <laughs> but well, uh, no, it's good that you're enjoying being at home. I mean, that's should be normal, but there are some people who struggle with it. So, um, and maybe you are at home more now sort of by accident, but, uh, it's, it's great to hear that you're enjoying that time. I don't think everybody does. Um, and, and, um, even those that do can take it for granted. Oh man. Yeah. You know, I, I hope, I hope everyone finds themselves in their own way. Um, but, uh, to, to tell you, I mean, like the amount of development that a baby has in the first two years is just astounding. And, you know, and then you think that your kid's like the best kid. <laughs> so we're having a lot of fun. So how, like during a time like this, even still, how much time would you say you spend thinking about wine and winemaking per day? Because you're a you're you're a one person operation for the most part, and you your your offerings have grown to several sparkling wines um, and both several red and, and white wines as well and rosé usually, um, so that's decent decent amount of wine. How much do you, are you thinking about your production and just your business even when you're at home these days? Uh you know, uh, unfortunately, like almost all the time, um, it's, 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 you know, it's, it's a lot, it's very rewarding. It's very fun. And I, I feel passionately, passionately about everything that I'm doing, but, uh, I, I will just say as a small business owner and particularly one in as lean an operation as Osmo is, um, you know, I just, I just think about it all the time. It's, it's probably not healthy. <laughs> and then, um, you know, uh, Instagram or whatever becomes your outlet or, you know, scrolling on the phone, but like Instagram for, for me is kind of entrepreneurial too. Um, you know, kind of curating the, the, the brand's image and, and stuff. So like even that, kind of feels like work um yeah i'm not i'm not complaining i love i love what i'm what i do um and you know as i've already said i have plenty of time with my family um you know you can never have too much but but uh i've got a lot of good time with my family um but yeah i think about wine a lot (laughs) so you're young enough uh to have been doing this during a time when quality and demand for wine from the Finger Lakes has really risen. And I would gather when you started, it may have been easier to get your hands on on good grapes to make wine from than it is now. Is that true? And can can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. You know, I mean, that's that that's a that's a very good question um which really kind of um opens up a, a greater conversation on so many things that that are are happening in osmo um my first vintage uh was for osmo was 2014 and um you know at that at that time I just focused on Chardonnay because I felt like everyone was really much more focused, obviously, on Riesling here and um, 
you know, back in 2014, I was still working in Manhattan at City Winery and was kind of remote for this, this whole project, kind of contracting it with other people and coming home to work on it when I could. Um, so, you know, being remote, I was like, well, if everyone's going to focus on Riesling, let me focus elsewhere with Chardonnay because I think that that grape is going to do equally well here. And, you know, what I realized immediately by f focusing on um, the other white grape, I could get vineyard sources that were very well established, had, you know, really good uh, vineyard age and were very interesting, compelling sites. Um, so, you know, that that's how... Certainly, you, you know, and also I, I felt like I could bring something unique to, to Chardonnay since I had worked with it around the world in, in, in uh, very interesting places and very interesting ways. And then, um, you know, it was 17 when I moved up here, left City Winery, moved up here to focus on Osmo full time. And... Um, yeah, you know, if I wanted to focus just on on Chardonnay, um, it didn't feel like um, getting more of of the of the great vineyard sites that I had. Um, I mean, I, I had to move up here in seventeen because in, in sixteen um, year where we had a late frost and a and a pretty droughty year, I couldn't even get Chardonnay grapes. So you know, in, in, in two years, um, working with, for, for Osmo, you know, I start out and I'm just getting incredible fruit sourcing and then all of a sudden I'm running into rather severe scarcity. So, you know, that was part of the impetus for my moving up here just to better build the uh, relationships with the community and, and, and the growers and kind of secure these fruit sources. And, um, now you know that I've I've settled in and and expanded, um, I've I've it's I'm of the opinion that Cabernet Franc is probably one of the best things we do in the Finger Lakes. I think it's so interesting, um, and I'm really happy driving it in a very uh, lightly extracted kind of style, um, but. Uh, it's it's near impossible for me to uh, expand the Cabernet Franc production. Um, so, you know, I, I I was I was reading um, a, a a local book, uh, Circle of Vines, which talked a lot about vineyard history in the in the Finger Lakes and I in the wine history of the the Finger Lakes and the very cool stories about the native Nebraska and some of the hybrids. And, um, and then, you know, Nathan Kendall started working with, uh, Delaware and such. And I was like, Oh man, you kind of like stole my idea. I got to jump on this right quick. And, uh, I, so I started working with, uh, hybrids, um, partly out of necessity. These were the grapes that I could, manage access to um and you know like i said i read this book and i was like oh man they're really attached to our history and as i uh e explored them you know I, I found that some of the growers with whom i enjoyed working with more than anyone else they they actually you know still had blocks of these old hybrids that they you know could never they just never had the heart to tear them out, which is great for me. And, um, you know, lo and behold, here I am working with Deshaunek from Tunker Hosmer that was planted in 73. And, you know, I get great Cuga White from uh, Mark Wagner planted in 78. Um, and, and I think these are really terrific grapes grown by terrific grape growers and they're in 
you know, ideal sites. I mean, they're sited right next to, you know, premier blocks of Chardonnay and Cabernet Franc and Riesling and, and, and stuff. Um, so it's not like they're on some lesser block of land. Um, so you mentioned that it, it has been challenging to acquire Cabernet Franc grapes. Yeah, it's very difficult. And would you did you start working with these hybrids because you had to? Or because, you know, in, it, historically, yes, they were important once upon a time and they were still on the ground. Um, but did you do it because you had to or because um, you you wanted to? Like, would you had you been able to get more vinifera grapes, would you have still explored the hybrids? Well, had I been able to get more of the key vinifera, maybe I never would have. But that's not to say that I didn't want to. I I really became interested in the 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 history and and the way that these grapes, you know, kind of told the the story of how the whole region came came to be and um and then there's a there's a very important uh sustainability aspect to all of this i mean these grapes were specifically bred to excel in our environment and excel in our environment with uh less you know manipulation and what does that mean specifically fewer pesticides um so you know i i want them to be successful i i want to see viticulture thriving here and thriving here with um you know less pesticide um and you know i at first it was just you know it was just dabbling uh, 2018, I think, was my first vintage with the Cuga White Pet Nat. I did 75 cases. You know, I effectively crushed a ton. But um, I loved the wine. I I found it very, um, you know, it was a rewarding process and it was really interesting. And you know, it was allowing me to um, work in styles like I'd never made Pet Nat before. But, you know, the Cuga White was a little bit cheaper. I felt um, comfortable enough to try something very radical for myself. And, you know, now I'm getting ready in 21 to release, um, you know, nearly 700 cases of, of Cuga wow. White. It's a, wow. very important, it's a very important wine for me right now. Um, you know, they've been pouring it by the glass at Hearth and the Hearth Highline in uh, Manhattan. I mean, that's, you know, I'm very proud of that. That's very cool. And, and, and what does that mean? It means, you know, I am there with important placements telling the, the story, you know, walking into places saying, yeah, you know, my university bred this grape specifically for where I live so that we could grow grapes, um, not better, but, but more ecologically, you know, and, 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 and I've just, you know, I feel like I've found the way for me, um, in, in my tastes and my preferences, I've, you know, I think this really works. Uh, I really like this style and, uh, I'm very proud to put it out there, you know? Yeah, uh, I really like that wine, and and the the recent twenty twenty one that you sent me was was equally as delicious as it always is. Um, so That's well it. done. Uh, and then there uh, there's a couple other sparkling wines that you made in twenty twenty one that we'll we'll talk about as well. Um, but do you? I, I'm I kind of want to keep going on Cayuga for a minute. It's a grape that's picking up some traction. I mean, you have other both large and small wineries that are featuring it in a way that's not just an afterthought. Um, How funny is that? And that's a, that's a grape that was bred in the fifties, released in the seventies, 
you know, like I said, my vineyard source is 1978 planting and, uh, it, it had felt like, um, you know, what's the expression, perhaps like a footnote to, to history. And here we are, you know, but, but I saw this happen, you know, part of the inspiration I've, I've made wine so many places around the world. I was in uh, Chile in the Maule Valley in 2009 and there were guys there um, kind of, you know, it, it seemed the way it was almost like they were bushwhacking and finding old, um, you know, mission grape, Pais, P-A-I-S vineyards and uh, they, they're like, we, this stuff's been here for over a hundred years. It's on its own roots. It's like so uniquely Chilean. We need to express this. You know, we need to, this is something that only we can do. We have to do it. And they've done it. And, you know, they're, they're not the, you know, darkest red wines but or anything. But, you know, that doesn't matter. It's, it's, it, they're tasty, they're juicy, they're crunchy, they're fun to drink, and they are you just so unique to to one place and they tell a cool story. Um and uh and I was like, you know, I'm not gonna be envious of these guys. I'm I'm gonna be really happy for them and I'm just gonna like I'm like, you know what? I I can do that here too. I have exactly those same, you know, forgotten vineyard sites and these, these, you know, um, looked over varieties. Let's, let's, let's just tweak how we work with it and see if we can do something that is, is compelling and cool. So do you, you know, the Cayuga grape, do you think that it's something that could surpass, um, a certain vinifera varieties in terms of demand and then cost? Uh, I, 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 I think, I think we're going to start seeing more um, still versions of it because most of what, what is being made that sort of, um, you know, quite cool is sparkling, but there's, I think we're going to start seeing, interesting still versions of it, whether it's been made, you know, entirely naturally or without any added sulfur or whatever, or barrel aging or certain kind of vessel aging. Um, I think those wines are going to start showing up pretty soon, but, but to my original point, um, you know, that might enhance the possibility of the cost of Cayuga going up somewhat. I'm, I'm curious to know your thoughts on Oh, will the cost of Cayuga go up? I, I you know, I, I don't know. Per, perhaps. I mean, the the reality of the world right now, you know, I, I say this as a business owner. Every the cost of everything is going up, and we we see that we see that every day. Um, but you know, is is Cayuga going to go up because of like some outsized demand for it? I'm I'm not convinced of that. I think what we're doing is or some of the other hybrid grapes like marquette that's another one that's a bit more widely known than some of the others um not just from new york but from successes in other states um and and that's it that's quite an expensive red hybrid yeah yeah but you know kiyuga kiyuga white bred in the 50s released in the 70s marquette you know, I don't even know if we were talking about that yet when I was a college student graduating in 2008. Um, that's a very new release. And I think, I think we're pointing towards the, the, the trend that I, that I think is going to happen. Is, are we going to plant new Cayuga White vineyards? Per, perhaps. You know, I think uh, Bloomer Creek may have planted some more recently. Um, but, uh, I think 
the realities of, of climate change and, and, um, and everything, the, the, the breeding programs never stopped. They didn't stop in the 70s. You know, and those guys have all just kept working and the, the varieties, the new generations are getting better and better. And that's better and better in, um, you know, kind of like um, the, the sense of the viticulture. They have um, now sometimes even like two different genes in, the, in them um, to, to fight. The, the most prevalent diseases like downy mildew, powdery mildew. And, um, but, but also, you know, they're, they're being, uh, you know, the flowers are, are being of the grapevines are being mixed, you know, between varieties that taste better or just have better, um, kind of winemaking chemistries and stuff. Um, I think, you know, like, like making a pet net of Kyuga white, He's for me a really great use of a you know kind of like medium aroma sort of grape variety that has a uh, very very high acid you know it it it's perfect for making a very f- fresh and and you know li- lightly like fruit forward sort of simple wine. I'm not going to sit here and try to tell you that my Kyuga White Pet Net is, you know, a meditation wine and you should just like, it's, it's super fun. Like throw some orange juice in it and make an amazing mimosa. Have, have a lot of fun with it. Drink it ice cold and, you know, watch sunsets. Um, uh, but, you know, I, ex- I expect that we are going to see newer generations of hybrid grapes come that will answer some of our uh, most you know difficult questions in in how to make the the vineyards more sustainable um and and that's where i expect um hybrids to to move in the future Plant, planting into new new generation varieties and marquette is a definitely a newer generation um variety with some really promising uh characteristics uh, um and you know probably even easier to grow i you know i would say perhaps than than kiyuga white is just because it you know it, it just has that many more years of 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 science being behind it well i want to um i want to finish talking about some of these grapes um and some of the sparkling wines that you made this year but before we do that let's um let's not forget about some of the vinifera wines that uh and still wines that you're making so you you mentioned that you really sort of hung your hat on Chardonnay early on. And I, when I, I think of you as, as Chardonnay sort of being your identity um, and, and that then having led to some really other uh, great st- still wines, um, Cabernet Franc, you mentioned Riesling, Rosé um, and, uh, and the Deshaunic. Um What, uh, where, where did you, where did your head go from Chardonnay? In which direction first? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, the first thing I did with, with Chardonnay was to make, um, an oak fermented Chardonnay. Um, I had worked in, uh, New Zealand on the North Island with Craggy Range and, um, we had a, a cooler site called uh, Kidnappers Cliffs, um, and it was uh, right next to the water there in um, in like the Hawks Bay. And uh, that that cooler site, we um, which to to me, you know, I mean, New Zealand, particularly that part of, of New Zealand, was significantly warmer than the Finger Lakes. 
Um, but you know, that site seemed perhaps more akin to the, the finger lakes than some of the, you know, certainly more so than like a, a gimblet gravels place, um, where I was, were centered at and it was very warm and inland. Um, anyway, they, they, um, picked that kind of early and fermented it in very large oak barrels and um, created a great sense of, of minerality or sort of like um, iodine sort of um, crushed seashell kind of aroma or feel to the, to the wine. I, I thought that was super interesting. I was like, oh, man. I, th I think I can bring that to the Finger Lakes. I'm like, maybe, you know, I'll pick early and I'll, uh, you know, I don't see a lot of people using oak um, or, or using only oak. You know, people, people in the Finger Lakes had always kind of used oak barrels, but that it was very prevalent from my earlier experience to see um, kind of like a, a sheepish approach to oak if i may say so um in which guys would it's like hey we fermented half of it in an oak barrel and then we fermented the other half of this blend in the tank and half of it went through malolactic and half of it didn't you know and it was all this half 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 stuff and it was like no just like throw it in a barrel man let it ferment in the barrel and and just like speak to that one moment um but so i I learned in, in, in New Zealand, I was like, th these really large oak barrels are, are very cool. They don't make the wine too oaky, but they create like an, an extra layer, some depth. And, um, you know, and then I worked in uh, Cal California. I did another harvest in, in New Zealand. We did everything with natural ferments, um, and I got really much more comfortable just trusting the yeast that come with your grapes from from the vineyard um uh, and i thought that was something very interesting that i should bring to the to the finger lakes and and i repeated that again with uh william Salem out in uh, california um and we, we were you know doing doing cool stuff um when i worked in the finger lakes it was prior to all these experiences it was really common to um you know, just bring the Chardonnay in, distem it, crush it, press it, and chill the hell out of it until you could get like a really clean juice out of it. And these these other guys I was working for, like William Salom and, and Craggy and, and Greystone, the other place I worked in, in New Zealand, they were doing um, whole cluster um, pressing, up very so very very gentle handling of of the chardonnay and handling it so gently that um they really had no need to do the aggressive uh juice settling the cold settling that the guys you know I had seen do in in the finger lakes they were just fermenting with a um more turbid you know like more cloudy juice and I was like oh, I got to try that in the finger lakes so, so here it is, you know, I'm a, everyone's making Riesling. I'm this dude in Manhattan just trying to get reconnected to where I grew up and where I went to school. Um, you know, I'll focus on Chardonnay because everyone else is focused on Riesling and I don't want to compete against them. And, um, and I like Chardonnay. I, you know, I feel passionately about it. I was like, I'll just bring all these new ideas and see if these, some of these things that I learned abroad apply and uh you know right right away i i found that uh it really sang with with our uh with our fruit and uh, you know our kind of like finger lakes profile I, I had a lot of um success even with that first you know 2014 vintage that was um very affirming and uh you know just felt good <laughs> so Cabernet Franc is certainly big business now in the in the Finger Lakes and throughout New York. There, there was a time not too long ago when 
uh, a few of us might have thought that Pinot Noir was really the best red grape in the region. What made you never go after any Pinot Noir? Um, you know, my my degree is in vineyard management, and I spend a lot of time um, in the in the vines. Um, you know, basically, you know, even even today, as consuming. And, and demanding as Osmo is, I still have a lot of time in the summer, so I tend to um, kind of subcontract myself out to to other um, vineyards and help out in the in the vineyard. And the, you know, they're they're pretty accommodating with my schedule. Let me do my wine work when I need to do my wine work. Do do sales call when I have to do a sales call. They're just happy to have another hand in the vineyard. And with all that experience and time in the vineyard, I have seen a lot of stuff and I just know how hard it is to grow Pinot Noir in the Finger Lakes. Um, I think some people are wildly successful with it um, and my hat's off to them. And I would love to um, try it myself someday, but I just, I don't think I'm personally going to make a Pinot Noir until I am growing my own Pinot Noir. And um, now after the success that I've had with things like Cuga White and Deshaunac and knowing that there are new generation hybrids out there, you know, maybe Marquette, but I'm even kind of with an eye to uh, some of the things that are happening in, um, in Europe. You know, there's a lot of um, new hybrids coming from German University, Geisenheim, and, you know, Northern Italian universities. Um, so I'm, I'm thinking to myself, like, do I need to be a masochist? Do I need to plant Pinot Noir and struggle to keep it clean and just wait, you know, every third year to have a bang and vintage? Or maybe I can grow something, you know, like, like, or even, you know, Cabernet Franc. I, I approach Cabernet Franc with a really kind of light extraction mentality. Um, and I get, you know, I, I get a, a beautifully, you know, fruit forward, light tonicity, um, very refreshing, crunchy, juicy style of uh cabernet franc which pleases me um you know much like the the pinot noirs that that i like to drink and cab franc grows great here it's got a very thick skin and it overwinters quite well um so i'm just like why why do i want to grow pinot noir and just struggle 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 um particularly when uh, other wines are making me equally as happy. Yeah, the Cabernet Franc uh, momentum is wonderful. And then Gamay, uh, more plantings are, are popping in that I hear about, which is also going to be really interesting to watch. Um, let's talk about the Deshaunic and then finish on sparkling wine. So, so that was a really interesting one. Uh, you came across a, a technique of using vinifera skins and fermenting them with red, red hybrids to add more tannin and have now got two vintages under your belt doing that to, to good effect. Both quite different vintages, but same technique both times, correct? Yeah, yeah. So that's, um, you know, I like to, to pick Deshaunic, uh quite early in the season um, and then I cold soak it so that I get some nice color extraction. Um, it's a wildly uh, colored grape. Um, you know, actually, even like when I was uh, vineyard sampling the the first year with uh, Deshaunic and just going to the vineyard throughout the course of the summer to watch it grow and understand it a little bit better, um, I had to call up the the grower pre um, like like pre Verizon. I was like, hey man, I don't know if everything is all right in your vineyard. It's looking, the clusters are looking splotchy. And, um, and he's like, no, actually like that's, that's how Deshaunic just has so much color. It like starts to color differently, you know, whereas like a, a Pinot, 
um, cluster at Verizon, you know, like one day a berry's green and the next day a berry's purple. It's, it's just, it's, it's kind of this like binary thing. And, and like Deshaunek just has so much color, it kind of like comes in, in this, in this gradual way. So yeah, I, um, I just cold, I cold soak it and press it gently and I get a heck of a lot of color like that and um, a little bit of tonicity, but, uh, but then I f- ferment it um, uh, actually on uh, Chardonnay skins. So, so what happens is the Deshaunek gets picked uh, maybe a week prior to uh, Chardonnay, and that's kind of just like a natural um, synergy in the, in the ripening curve of those two grapes here in our region. Um, they, they sync up like that nicely. And, uh, so, you know, I've got the Deshaunek, the juice is ready. And then as soon as I've got, um, Chardonnay skins, you know, I, I, I mix the two and it kind of proceeds like your traditional red fermentation with, you know, a daily punch down and everything. Um, and you know, th- that was, that was me just kind of keeping up with some of the research coming out of Cornell, they were um, looking into why uh, hybrid grapes didn't always show a lot of uh, good mouthfeel structure, essentially tonicity. Um, and, you know, they, they, they were learning that actually um, there's, there's a really good amount of tannin in uh, red hybrid grapes. Um, it, it's just most of it falls out because of like, um, things that are kind of natural, endemic to to hybrid grapes, and and the way those things come come into the wine uh, over the course of uh, fermentation. You know, they 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 just combine with the tannins, and everything falls to the bottom, and you lose your tannin. So I was like, well, you know, I'll just I'll I won't give the the Deshaunek too much time on itself, and maybe I can avoid getting rid of those. I can avoid getting those things that are costing the tannins that were there and heck, you know, I'll get, I'll get some good mouthfeels, some good kind of characteristics from these fine Chardonnay grapes. And, um, I, I, I worked in France in, um, 2011, but, uh, before I worked in, in France, I flew to Italy and, uh, stayed, uh, like over a week with a buddy of mine. I had met working um, elsewhere. You know, I, actually, he and I had worked together in Australia. Um, but he let me stay in his house, and he lives um, near Verona in the Valpolicella region. And he was taking me to Amarone producers. And, I mean, he, like, loves where he lives, and rightfully so. Um, gorgeous, gorgeous spot. And he was showing me. And we were tasting these amazing wines. And, um, you know, Amarone was really nice, was re- was really good. Um, but it was strong. You know, it was, like, very heavily extracted and, and very strong and, um, you know, very, very tasty. But as a Finger Lakes guy, you know, well, not necessarily something I was used to. Um, but, um, you know, we were also drinking, um, you know, straight Corvina, wines and one of the red grapes that that grows there for Valpochella and that was very interesting but then um some there were some uh wines it was um Repasso so they were take they were making these great um Corvina wines and um then passing them back over the uh the precious you know desiccated uh grape skins that had made the Amarone and so they were just recycling used skins and and adding an extra layer of of depth to these nice um you know easier going uh red wines and so you know they were recycling stuff recycling skins and I was like oh yeah this is possible this is not you know something bizarre this is not something that hasn't happened before in in winemaking so l- let me apply it um have, you know, and here we, here we are, Deshaunek on, on Chardonnay skins and, you know, just a 
not 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 a hugely tannic wine, but uh, you know, a little bit of sense of, of structure, and um, but just lovely, lovely fruit characteristics. Um, a nice blue fruit palette from the um, Deshaunek, and then some cool kind of like um, orange peel kind of characteristics. I think coming from the Chardonnay skins. Um, it's been it's been very compelling the, the first the first year i did it i cold soaked the uh, deshaunek for quite a long time and got significantly more color and a lot more blue fruit expression and i told everyone i was like guys this wine's like coteron light you know it's uh, imagine i have to imagine before climate change when the coat the rhone was a little bit cooler and they had a little more acid in their uh, grapes this is probably what you know baseline you know pretty gsm blends tasted like and uh then the current vintage the um 2020 uh i did not cold soak the uh Deshaunic as long i didn't get nearly as much color um so it's a more of like a pinkish or kind of like orange looking wine and i think um the chardonnay skins speak to you more um in in the 2020 version so you have more of that um orange peel um and a, and a little bit more of like a red fruit ex- expression in in this wine and then i so sometimes i just like joke to people i'm like oh yeah we just went a little further south it's like we're, we're not in uh the, the realm with with with, or rather we went like a little um further north right so we're not we're not in the the Cote de with the gsm we're kind of like flirting with a uh gamay sort of <laughs> uh ex- expression like baby pinot type thing yeah it does have that um gamay sort of red apple skin sort of palette to it totally and it looks great on the shelf the label's super fun i've got it on my like weird wines shelf, you know, with, oh, they're not that weird, but it's up there with like Blaufrankish, Saparavi, Zweigelt, um, and it definitely sticks out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I, I, I like doing fun labels, that, and that that is an especially fun one. Well, and uh, we had some fun collaborating on a Red Pet Nat together, which uh, is a blend of... The old school red hybrid Leon Mio, um, the le- the less vi- uh, less invincible of, of the the two, uh, and the uh, the other one being Marquette of the new school, slightly more invincible, uh, new hybrid grape, and you know we we kind of went for Lambrusco, and it kind of turned out that way. Yeah, I, I'm I'm glad I'm glad you to hear you say so. I mean, that was. Um... You were my muse on on that one, um, but uh, and then the twenty twenty one that you sent me, yeah, it's isn't it remarkable? I don't even think we've talked about this yet. The how different they are the twenty twenty one from the twenty. I mean, maybe quite obviously, just because the the twenty has so much fruit to it because it was such a ripe year, and I would almost go so far as to call the twenty twenty one like a bit more noble. Good, good. Um, you know, I, I, um, I'm going to be disgorging that soon, and uh, I really look forward to getting that onto the market. And I hope that uh, everyone agrees that it's more noble, more refined. Um, you, you know, I mean, with each, I don't know this for sure, but I think it might be our best-selling line. Oh really? The, the yeah, I would have to check, but I think it's between that and the red wine, which uh, which you also had a hand in because it's Deshaunic. Um, <laughs> those, those two are our best moving for the moment, which makes sense in the winter. Um, but uh, yeah, I'll, I'll double check. I'll double check and let you know who's winning the race. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, I mean, uh, on on my side, um, you know, like. Because, yeah, as I said, you you were my muse, and you said, I really want this red sparkling wine. And I was like, all right, I'll, I'll try it. And 
I was like, I know, I know a great grower. He's got Leon Milo and, and Marquette. Um, but you know, so I know I can get some good fruit and I've got some ideas and I'm feeling kind of comfortable having done all this Cuga white pet mat. So let me, I'll try something for you. Um, but yeah, part of the, part of the deal when I did it for you, I remember I was like, man, I'm going to do it, but I don't, I don't want to do it on like as small a scale as what you're asking for. I, I got to, you know, I got to do it a, a little bit more commercially. Um, so, and, and then I had like a year head start as you were dealing with your build out and your uh, licensing and stuff. So I had my own um, blend of that wine on the market and, um, you know, much like the, my, my earliest experiences with the Cuga White, it was a warm reception beyond even my wildest imagination. People in the market out, right? are, yeah, people in the market are really excited to try new things. And, um, and, 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 you know, I mean, these are, these are worthwhile wines. They're, they're good, clean wines with fun and very, uh, unique characteristics and um you know it's very easy for me to stand behind them because you know i can talk about the history of my region and the, you know moving towards the most ecological um varieties we have available to us and you know the whole thing has been very, very inspiring. And that's why, you know, I'm here early in the conversation saying to you that, you know, I might, I might try a, a variety, you know, a wild variety from uh, like Northern, like, like maybe I'll plant, I'll be planting Florte or something when I finally get um, vines, you know, into the ground here at my home. Um, because people, the, the wine consumership has shifted dramatically. People are very open-minded. They want to try new stuff and they seem um, really uh, warm to us as producers when we can talk about something that we're doing for the sake of the environment and planting hybrid grapes is exactly that. It's, It's one of, I think one of the best things we can, we can do for long-term vineyard sustainability. Um, you know, at the, at the same time, there are endless advances happening that makes growing the vinifera we love more and more sustainable. And, um, you know, Finger Lakes growers are some of the most knowledgeable and hardworking and ad- adaptive uh, vineyard people I have, I have ever encountered. Um, so we are doing our best on, on all levels and we have a bright future in any direction. Um, but, uh, but yeah, man, let's, let's, let's play around. Let's do some cool stuff. And we will. And, and teaser, we've got a, a, a white pet net in the works that, uh, is going to come out sometime next year too. So we'll have to have you back and chat more about that one when the time comes. I'm just like a freaking hipster winemaker in a trucking garage making pet net this. Pet net machine. (laughs) (laughs) JC Penny's pet net pretty soon. Oh man. Home Depot pet net. I'll be honest with you though. I mean if 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 I could You know you made it when SNL starts making fun of pet net. (laughs) If I could have it my way, I would I would just make barrel fermented Chardonnay. I would love to just like grab vineyard sources from all over the lake, start growing it myself, maybe bring in some of the, like the California heritage varieties, um, get like some Ruid clone, some Wenty clone out here, see if that does well, see what clones are available in, in, uh, in France. You know, I would, I would just plant Chardonnay and buy Chardonnay from all over the place and just give you like terroir, wine map of the finger lakes all in chardonnay but um you know as it is i just i don't have a taste serum 
you know, the, right now I, I, everything I sell is in distribution and I've, you know, I gotta make a lot of stuff. I gotta make a lot of stuff and I'm, I'm at, and I'm having fun doing other stuff, but I, I just, I love Chardonnay. I would love to make a lot more Chardonnay, but you know, it's just, I can't get the grapes that, as, as much of the grapes as I want. And, um, you know, I don't have my own vineyard yet. Well, until then, let's uh, let's try some barrel fermented Cayuga. We, we we hit a winner, man. We got pet net. We're gonna stick with what we got. All right, <laughs> all right. Hey, you go with what you know. All right, Ben. Uh, everyone, you can come and drink wines made by Ben Riccardi at Paul Brady Wine in Beacon, including the red pet net that we made together. It's called Rock and Roll Mouthwash, and it, it might be our best line wine. Uh, I've also got Ben's Chardonnay, the Seneca Chardonnay, which uh, does have some oak on it. It's sort of a um, kind of your 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 signature expression, would you say? Definitely, definitely. We should have to Japan. It's, it's all over the country. That that's what Osborne's about. And we also have uh, the Deshaunic red wine on the shelf. Uh, so come in, drink Ben's wine. Ben, can't wait to have you down and talk to you very soon. I look forward to visiting. Thank you for having me tonight. It's always fun to catch up. You're a perpetual optimist. I like being around you, Paul. Thanks, man. And shout out Dave Miller composer and performer of our opening and closing music, Dave Miller, guitar.com. Check him out. Thanks.